A striking 40% of them mentioned infrastructure issues. That's incredible. Like in an open-ended question when you can talk about anything, they really honed in on infrastructure as an area that they're deeply concerned about and that the federal government is not thinking enough about. Welcome to Energy 360, the podcast from the Energy Security and Climate Change Program at CSIS. I'm your host, Lisa Highland. This week, we talk about priorities of U.S. mayors. My colleague, Nico Safos, talks with Dr. Katherine Levine-Einstein of Boston University about her work as a co-investigator of the Menino Survey of Mayors. This national survey interviews over 100 mayors of large and mid-sized cities, with a focus this year on infrastructure and transportation. Dr. Einstein and Nikos talk about some of the findings of this recent survey, especially how mayors are thinking about infrastructure, including roads, bridges, mass transit, water management, and how climate change and resilience are being factored in. They also touch on how mayors are likely to shift some of their priorities in light of COVID-19. Let's turn it over to Nikos and Dr. Einstein now. Thank you for being here with us today. Uh, let's start at the beginning uh, and tell us a little bit about the Menino survey of mayors. So we, um, for the last six years, we have been serving mayors of cities over 75,000 here at Boston University. Um, So it's run out of the initiative on cities here um, and started under the leadership of Mayor Tom Menino, the former mayor of Boston. And um, our goal each year is to talk with a nationally representative sample of mayors and learn about their key policy priorities, their key leadership challenges, um, and how they're tackling the most pressing issues facing American cities. So tell us a little bit about what shows up in these surveys. What is on the minds of America's mayors? Yeah, so, you know, we ask about so many different areas. Um, A couple areas that I think would be of special interest to your listeners um, are mayor's concerns about infrastructure and climate change. Um, So we have asked across multiple years and in multiple different ways, sort of what mayor's top priorities are, what are the places where they're getting um, not, not enough support from the federal government, and they really hone in on infrastructure challenges, and especially infrastructure um, challenges related to the changing climate, right? So they're worried about roads, they're worried about mass transit, um, but they're also worried about water, wastewater, and stormwater, and sort of drainage issues and flooding issues and things like that. And, and how do these concerns rank relative to sort of other things that are on a mayor's kind of agenda? Yeah, you know, again, it'll vary from year to year. Um, And so some years, things like um, poverty will rise more to the top. um, And in other years, um, there, there may be sort of concerns about um, the fiscal uh, structure of cities. You know, I could imagine doing this survey in a year or two and learning that mayors are really concerned about their coffers and sort of how much money they're going to have available. But I would say that infrastructure really consistently is in the top three for mayors when we ask them sort of what they're worried about. Um, And one result that really stands out to me from our most recent Menino survey of mayors last summer, it was an open-ended question. We just asked them, like, what is something you wished that the presidential candidates were talking about more. Um, And amid the many things they could have talked about, right, and they did talk about, some of them talked about homelessness, some of them talked about housing, right, a striking 40% of them mentioned infrastructure issues. That's incredible. Like in an open-ended question when you can talk about anything, they really honed in on infrastructure as an area that they're deeply concerned about and that the federal government is not thinking enough about. So let me do a follow-up on that. And one of the things that obviously strikes me in the national conversation is 
the word infrastructure can mean so many different things to so many different people. You alluded to some of the specifics before, but maybe if you could walk us through when people talk about transportation, what do they really mean? So the first year we did this survey in 2014 and we asked open-ended questions about mayor's priorities and they mentioned infrastructure um, a lot of times. And so one of the things we wanted to do in 2015 is answer that exact question. Like when a mayor talks about infrastructure, what do they actually mean? What policies are encapsulated with that really broad term? Um, and so we had a whole in-depth module with a series of open-ended and closed-ended questions that really tried to get at that. And the answer is perhaps unsurprisingly, that it's a broad term, but it's one that does seem to have pretty consistent meaning um, across local government officials. And so the kinds of things that they raise um, when they're thinking about big infrastructure projects will be things like roads and bridges, um, mass transportation, so everything from you know a train system, a light rail system to a bus system, um, and then water, wastewater, stormwater issues. Um, and I think those water issues are maybe in some ways the most interesting because most people, when they think of infrastructure, think of roads and potholes, but maybe fewer people think about sort of drainage and sewer infrastructure as being um, part of that broader term. I also wanted to flag when we asked them about smaller infrastructure projects, another area that comes up a lot is city buildings. And so at least some mayors view um, sort of public buildings as a key part of their infrastructure that they need more support to maintain. You, you've laid out sort of roads and, and, and transit and transportation. You've also talked about water and wastewater management. So I wanted to sort of hone in on these two themes because that's also uh, a lot of what we here at uh, CSIS spend our time thinking about energy, climate, and transportation. So let's start with transportation. And one of the things that always strikes me when I see these results is the simplest way to call it would be cognitive dissonance, right? Where mayors think their cities are too dependent on cars, but they want to spend more money on roads. Walk us through some of these findings and, and what are you seeing in terms of what that tells us about a holistic understanding of transportation and the challenges that cities face. Yeah, right. So as someone I personally um, am very passionate about sort of pursuing local government approaches um, to reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And I think one of the most effective ways that local governments can tackle that issue is by reducing the number of people in cars. Um, and mayors really recognize this fact. Like when we ask them, what's the biggest source of greenhouse gas emissions in your city? 60% of them say cars and car trips and vehicles, right? So they know that. Um, and they also know that their cities are too dependent on cars. So over 70% of them agree um, that their city streets are too oriented towards cars. They'd like to reduce the number of car trips in their city. Um, and yet when we ask them sort of what's your top infrastructure priority, the most popular answer is roads. Um, so they really hone in on spending on roads. They view it as this like very important part of their infrastructure. Um, we also this year in our most recent Menino survey asked mayors a whole series of questions about what they're doing with their roadways and with their infrastructure more generally to make cities more friendly for pedestrians and cyclists. Um, and you know, there were a few bright spots. Um, mayors are willing to give up driving lanes and parking spaces for bicycle lanes and so that cyclists have more space. Um, but in general, uh, you know, as you point out, the module was kind of a bummer and kind of, an, I think, a great example of cognitive dissonance where mayors on the one hand say they want to reduce their reliance on cars, 
but they're not willing to really give up parking, right? So they're not willing to increase the price of parking or reduce its overall availability. Um, they're not willing to take really aggressive steps um, to reduce vehicle speeds, which is one way that we could make roads a lot safer and friendlier for cyclists and pedestrians. Um, and so, yeah, when we take those results sort of as a whole, it suggests that mayors they want to do something about cars, um, but when it comes to the actual specifics, they're not really comfortable with a lot of the policy solutions that we know would be effective ways of reducing Americans' reliance on cars in cities. On, let me stay on this topic of transportation. Uh, last year's uh, survey talked about the sharing economy, and you had questions there about ride-sharing services. What did you find there that mayors, how were they thinking about services like Uber and Lyft, again, in the context of transportation? You know, we were actually sort of surprised by how relatively unconcerned they were. Um, and I think part of this, you know, we're, we're living in these big cities that have been really um, reshaped in many ways by Uber and Lyft. We're serving a nationally representative sample of mayors over, of cities over 75,000. And so I think for a lot of them, Uber and Lyft really haven't contributed in negative ways to the same extent when we think about things like traffic and additional vehicle trips. Like when we look at the data um, on where Uber and Lyft have sort of had their most pronounced impact, it's really been in a lot of these sort of big coastal cities. So sort of taking that as a caveat, we were really struck by how relatively unconcerned um, and relatively positive mayors were about the ride sharing economy and things like Uber and Lyft. They maybe wanted to see them more regulated a bit, but um, there wasn't sort of this ground swelling of local elite opposition to Uber and Lyft that you might have expected given sort of overall media coverage of, of these companies in big cities. Now, I would be remiss if I moved on from the transportation conversation without a brief detour, because you're also the co-author of a book called Neighborhood Defenders. Uh, and so you've studied these questions of urban planning and zoning and, and how citizens uh, shape sort of the urban landscape. And so I was wondering if you could give us the very sort of top line uh, insights from that book as it pertains to this conversation about how cities are laid out and the ability to increase density and therefore make you know, mass transit and these other transportation solutions more economically viable. So my co-principal investigators of the Menino survey are two fellow political science professors, David Glick and Max Palmer. And in addition to working on the Menino survey, the three of us also wrote this book, Neighborhood Defenders, where we really looked at the participatory politics of housing policy and thinking about how neighborhood meetings reshape our urban landscape. And so while we were primarily focused on housing in that book, I think a lot of what happens in neighborhood meetings um, really shapes sort of what our transportation infrastructure looks like as well. So basically what we were really interested in was land use and how land use policy in the United States is really oriented towards neighborhoods. So basically anytime you want to build like anything, chances are you as a developer are going to find yourself in front of a planning or zoning board or city council meeting where both public officials and members of the public have an opportunity to ask questions and offer their opinions on a proposed either housing project or mass transportation project or like bicycle lane project, right? And so on its face, this maybe sounds good that maybe what we're doing is letting neighborhoods really have a say over what gets placed in their communities. But what in 
practice our research shows is that these neighborhood forums actually empower a very privileged set of older white homeowners to stop any kind of unwanted development from happening in their communities. Um, and so in the case of housing, what this does is it makes it much harder to build housing in places. And if we sort of extend this um, to other kinds of transportation meetings, right, those same dynamics may make it much harder to build a bus rapid transit lane. It may make it harder to make a bicycle lane. It may make it just harder to like get rid of six parking spaces so you can do a curb bump out, right? So those neighborhood meetings reshape housing policy and they may be reshaping a lot of other really important local land use issues as well. Let me uh, switch to climate change and, and, and resilience. And, and I guess the, the first question, you, you alluded to climate change earlier in the discussion. Do mayors think that they're responsible for climate change or do they see this as a topic that happens sort of way above their, their pay grade? You alluded to this earlier, but I was wondering if you could walk us through a little bit of your findings in that regard. Yeah, so when we asked mayors actually um, a few years ago, sort of what are different areas where, um, th these are areas that we traditionally think the federal government is responsible, but areas where you can maybe make a big contribution. So things like immigration, healthcare, climate change, right? So understandably in areas like healthcare um, and immigration, they sort of see those as areas where like, they can maybe help a bit, but those are fundamentally issues that need to be handled by higher levels of government. In contrast, they actually see climate change as an area that they can really take leadership on. And, you know, we see different kinds of city to city compacts emerging on this, right? Like there's lots of city to city networking and compacts um, that have been oriented around climate change. So I do think that local leaders really see themselves as being able to take a strong stand against climate change. We have found across multiple years of the Menino survey of mayors that strong majorities of mayors are willing to address climate change in their cities, even if it means making fiscal sacrifices. So that all I think is really positive and suggests that mayors are potentially poised to take a really strong role in leading their local governments in the charge against climate change. But we also think that there's some, some areas where we maybe wanna caution um, and suggest that there's some limitations to what local governments are gonna be able to do in this. And the first sort of important challenge that we have found in our research is um, partisan polarization. So mayors are less polarized than what's going on at the national level. Um, but we do see that Republican mayors are much less likely to um, strongly endorse solutions um, to climate change that would involve fiscal sacrifices and that the gap between Democratic and Republican mayors has actually grown on this issue since we started the Menino survey of mayors. So there's a really big partisan gap here. Democratic and Republican mayors have sort of very different approaches, very different willingness to prioritize this issue. I think the second caution um, that I would raise, again, links back to, to this issue that, that you mentioned and the sort of cognitive dissonance around transportation issues. There are some areas of climate policy where mayors are really willing to take a strong stand. But when we look at some really important land use decisions around housing or transportation, mayors are maybe less comfortable sort of tackling the really contentious politics in those areas. And, you know, if we think that the most effective thing that mayors could do to address climate change is to reduce their residents' reliance on cars, then dealing with the really challenging politics of housing and transportation is going to be absolutely integral to a local government strategy to mitigate and address climate change. Maybe I can follow up a little bit on that. And the extent to which uh, you talked about polarization, uh, and I think it's very interesting that this stands out as one of the issues where there's more uh, 
polarization seen at the mayoral level. Um, what is the relationship in this topic between the mayors and sort of the federal government or the state government? And, and what do they want or how do they see their role versus sort of higher orders of, of government in terms of tackling climate change? Yeah, so, you know, I think when we sort of look at the partisan polarization, I, I don't know that there's um, there's strong partisan differences in sort of how Democrats and Republicans see the role of the national government. Where I sort of see the partisan polarization really mattering is I think Democratic mayors have become increasingly frustrated in recent years at the federal government's intransigence on this issue. Um, but also in many states, I think if you're a Democratic mayor in a Republican state, you are really frustrated by limited activism from your state government as well, right? And so um, one of the things that actually really stood out to us when we asked mayors a few years ago about their relationships with their state and federal government is where partisan polarization seemed to have the biggest impact on intergovernmental relationships was actually at the state level. We found that Democratic mayors in red states were especially unhappy with regulations and limitations on their autonomy from their state government. So they seem to be like really worried about these preemption laws, which linking it to sort of issues of climate change. We know that a lot of red states, places like Texas, have actually passed state level laws that have preempted local governments from taking a stand on some important climate change issues. That, that brings us back, I guess, to the question of what can mayors really do? And, and you've uh, you've talked a, a lot about transportation, but one of the things that you also mentioned in your list of infrastructure priorities was water and, and, and storm water and wastewater. And, and obviously, if we think about a changing climate, if we think about the challenges of, of flooding and rain and, and the ability to manage, uh, walk us through a little bit what you found in that specific area. Yes, I think one of the most interesting things we found in the water arena was that um, mayors are a lot more worried about it now than they were even four years ago. So we asked very similar infrastructure questions in 2015 and 2019, and overall the answers stayed pretty similar, except for water, wastewater, stormwater, which rose um, in prominence by about 10 percentage points, which is a pretty big jump over a four-year period. So yeah, I think one really interesting question is sort of why are mayors more concerned about water, wastewater, stormwater? And, you know, our team, I think, has two explanations, which is one, that federal government policies on this have changed under the Trump administration, and so that mayors maybe feel more responsibility for some of these issues than they may have felt four years ago. But I think the second really big issue is climate change, right? And mayors increasing realization that they're going to be vulnerable to these kinds of extreme weather events. And if it hasn't happened in their city, maybe they've seen it happen in a peer city and are worried about it. And so I think increasingly they're realizing that sort of dealing with drainage issues, dealing with frequent flooding, if you're a coastal city, you know, dealing with just like tidal coastal flooding and sunny day flooding, right? It doesn't have to rain for it to flood in your community in some places is going to make water um, an issue of increasing salience for a lot of mayors. And actually just on that issue of water, I've mostly just flagged coastal cities. This is also a really big issue for cities on the West that are facing water shortages, right? So mostly um, I've been talking about flooding, but there could also be the issue of like just not having enough water in your city and that sort of being a major infrastructure challenge as well. And in terms of how they're thinking of addressing this challenge is it is it about getting resources is it about as you said there's been some changes at the federal level you know how are they thinking about their ability uh, and their sense of empowerment to address this topic you know so i think 
with all of the infrastructure challenges, what the mayors would say is they need more money and that there's nowhere near enough money coming for them to handle, you know, their potholes, let alone sort of major flood mitigation. And so, yeah, I think if, if they had sort of the ear of higher levels of government, they would say we desperately need more investment, that there, there are some things that we can do at the margin. But when we think about sort of the big structural changes that we need in American cities, fundamentally, there need to be more federal resources, right? That there are really limitations on what local governments can do in the absence of those massive federal investments. We've talked about transportation, we've talked about climate and water. Uh, You mentioned earlier in our discussion sort of public buildings and energy. So I wanted to make sure we got a brief chance to just kind of elaborate a little bit on that and and how uh, mayors are thinking about the energy consumption. Obviously, the top priority is transportation, but uh, how do they think about energy use? So, yeah, I think for them, you know, we asked a more detailed climate module one year and they absolutely think about finding alternative climate friendly sources of energy um, to be an important priority and an important role for them as mayors. They've used sort of retrofitting city buildings to be more energy efficient as an important um, an important strategy they can pursue. But I, um, I think, again, even here, right, those are potentially more affordable things that they can do, but they really don't have enough money to do the kind of retrofitting that they need. And particularly if you're a mayor um, of a northeastern or midwestern city and you have a lot of older buildings, it's just it's incredibly expensive to make those kinds of retrofits. Um, and they actually talk about this not just in the context of their city buildings, but more generally when they think about their housing stock. You know, northern um, and midwestern mayors are really dealing with aging housing stock that in many respects doesn't meet the needs um, of their city residents, right? So I think I think these issues matter for city buildings and they also matter for privately owned buildings in these cities as well. Let me uh, see if I could get you to perhaps preview next year's survey, uh, mostly in the sense of, you know, how are you seeing the the conversation? Obviously, we are in the midst of a massive economic crisis, so that is changing a lot of what is on people's minds. But are there specific questions around energy and climate that you think are going to show up in the next year or two that you're very eager to sort of drill more deeply into and ask the mayors of America what's on their minds? Yeah. So one area that we've been really interested in um, and haven't really dug into so much related to climate um, has been green space and how mayors think about their green space, how what they think are the most effective uses of it, how to preserve it. And so obviously the way that we approach this this year is necessarily going to have to change to reflect the incredible crisis that our cities are facing right now as they deal with a global pandemic. But we actually still think that they're really interesting things to better understand about green space and how to manage it, given that we now have a crisis where, you know, in many cities, right, if we look at what's happening in New York City or some places in California, there aren't enough green spaces available for people to be able to use them in a way that still is consistent with social distancing. And so thinking about how how we utilize those spaces, how we preserve them, how we make them accessible in urban environments has really important environmental um, consequences and really important public health consequences. Yeah, this year's survey, um, we are absolutely going to be focused a lot more generally on COVID-19 responses, thinking about how local governments made their decisions, what support or limitations did they face from their state and federal governments, which vulnerable populations are they most concerned about, you know, ranging from everything from people who are experiencing homelessness to small businesses. And yeah, these green space issues, I think, are absolutely going to be in there as well. So yeah, it'll clearly be a more a more public health and uh, 
economic um, crisis uh, oriented survey, but we think it's it's a really, really important and pressing time to get a sense of how, how mirrors are thinking about these issues. Well, thank you very much. Uh, this has been a great conversation. Thank you for these great questions. Fantastic. Thanks to Dr. Einstein and Nikos for a great discussion. Be sure to check out the Menino survey of mayors for more info on what U.S. mayors are prioritizing. And thanks for listening to Energy 360. Find more episodes at CSIS.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Twitter at CSIS Energy.